Blurred Up Blurred Up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We're on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. And you can find us on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D. You find us on Blurred.com, our partners, wonderful site full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. I should note, uh, welcome to the the team, Fantastic Frankie, awesome uh, content creator on IG. Go check her out if you all haven't already. She gives these fun takes i've already talked about her we me and her did um an x-men 20th anniversary discussion it was really fun but first y'all might be asking yourselves where the heck have y'all been no not y'all you where the heck have you been yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah jade's here hi (laughs) um well i thought i had until the middle of november but i started a teacher's license certification program and if i graduate i would become a state licensed educator through washington dc which would allow me to teach in a number of states back home as well as at international schools abroad so more money more stability but the program is very time consuming and jade has seen me go through it uh for a little while he's been mr mcgrumpster lately oh, okay. I mean, grumpy i mean yeah okay, you've sure. been mr mcgrumpster lately <laughs> But I'm getting better, I'm, and I'm I'm trying to work through this rhythm, and that's why that's why I'm here today. Um, I actually started spring of last year, but it was too much for me to manage while I was balancing other parts of my life. Unfortunately, I'm doing much better this time around, and that leaves the question of will this show go on? And I've been up and down about that. Um, yeah, the the podcast was already a part time job with the research, the recording, the editing, not to mention doing the social media thing by myself. And this program is like adding on a second part-time job to my full-time job. But like I said, I think I'm getting a good rhythm and schedule that'll allow me to do everything. But that being said, for the sake of my mental and physical health, we may try to put these shows out maybe every other week, if possible. I'm really excited about the, sh- the, sh- the next show in two weeks. Um, I'm also in talks with a collaboration that I don't want to give away but I think y'all will really like it, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you all. But without further ado, let's uh, get into the reviews, because the title of this show is Oh, the Horror. And we got... Oh, oh it's all about horror. <laughs> I got it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but we'll start off on a lighter note. We both saw the season finale, the series finale of Kipo mm, yes. and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Kipo and the boys came to an end in the same month. It's still wild to remember that for those who do watch both, Karen Fukuhara is in both and her characters couldn't be more different. What are your thoughts on Kipo? For Kipo, I felt it was very rushed. However, I understood why it was rushed because I don't think they had planned for the series to just be three seasons. So I felt they kind of kind of had to tie up their loose ends in the last season, the, la- the third season. So, but also with Kipo, I don't, I, I never felt very invested in it. So I, it wasn't kind of like, oh, damn, like, it's over. Like, it was just like a feel-good thing to watch. I totally agree. I, it's a show that I respect. Mm. But like I said previously this summer, it doesn't reach the heights of a show like Avatar where one can watch it as a kid and adult. 
For me, the themes aren't dark enough. The fight choreography isn't detailed enough. The humor isn't funny enough to me. I think for its demographic, mm. it's perfect. Mm. Um, it helps set a new standard for normalizing um, blackness, people of color, and and queerness for children. I think that's extremely important. Mm. And I think that's where it and Steven Universe share that commonality. Have, have you seen Steven Universe? Um, that's like asking me if I know the sky is blue. That's my jam. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Steven Universe is my jam. Yeah, there's there's some people who really love that show. Like Marquita, who's on the show, she loves that show. She's an intellect. <laughs> I I personally couldn't couldn't get into it, but it's but it's again a thing that I respect. Well, excuse me. <laughs> I'm just being an asshole. Yeah, it's, it's cool. No, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm really excited to see the animation and overall stories from children inspired by these shows mm-hmm. decades later, if the Earth still has people left. <laughs> um, I like the development of Benson and his boyfriend's relationship. Yes. Um, I don't get why asking him to prom was such a big plot point if they were already a kind of a couple. Um, I think it was probably a big plot point because going back to the target audience for the show, like the promposal is a big deal. So I think that's why they made it a big deal because promposal is a big deal. But is it so... is it a big deal when you're already a couple though? Yeah, it is. Really? Yeah. I guess I never had a girlfriend during. I was that gonna time. ask. I was like, "Did you go to?" <laughs> well, a lady asked me out. Okay. So, uh-huh. anyway, <laughs> I didn't know that was a big deal. No, it wasn't. I, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to Samantha Davidson. Uh, how do you feel about Hugo's re- redemption? I liked Hugo's redemption. I another thing I thought was kind of rushed, yeah. but then again, I kind of gave it the blight because I was like, "Yeah, I don't think they planned." to end it so soon but i did like his redemption um i personally loved wolf's um growth yeah um um more so but yeah i thought it was really sweet to see hugo have that moment mainly with um uh what are kipo's parents names (laughs) with her parents like to have him have that moment with them. Like, I think it was at a point where, without spoilers, something bad happens. Right. And it threatens all of them. And they're like, you can take cover with us, Hugo. And it was, like, really sweet. I was like, oh, that's nice. That they're, he's, like, seeing, like, oh, it's okay. Like, even though you did these all bad, these bad things, you can still, like, come back from that. So. Yeah. I thought Amelia's backstory was rushed just to make her a bad person. Oh, yeah. I think that could have been a whole season in itself. Yeah, a whole episode at least. Yeah. How someone... Because it kind of... It kind of mirrors politics in a, in a sense of mm. how you're raised mm. as a child to be a bad person. Hugo was mm. also a child and he experienced bad things and he... You know, how they differed and how they're similar. Right. Yeah, that... I wish that got some more time. Yeah. And care. But I don't think the children really care. So I think that's probably why they didn't work. Like, the adults are like, I want to know more. And the kids are like, bad guys. <laughs> like, well, again, I think that's what separates. I said on the last show, I think for a kid show, this show was like a four. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like, as an adult, it's like a three. Because mm-hmm. there are shows that have adult themes that that explore those kind of things. Steven Universe. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has what, four, five seasons? How many seasons have? Five seasons and then an epilogue season. Right. And that, then a movie. Right. <laughs> so it went in depth. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what Marquita tell, tells me, that it really goes in there. So I, yeah. it Even though I couldn't get into it, it seems like mm. it definitely hits those levels better. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, let us know what you all think of Kipo because we have to move on to the actual horror now, which is a Netflix movie called Vampires vs. the Bronx. I didn't watch it. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you first. So, have you ever seen Attack the Block? Uh, it was one of John Boyega's first movies. Nope. Okay, it's about aliens arriving in a London ghetto, mm-hmm. and some teenagers work together to defeat them in one night. And it's my favorite movie of 2011. It's like science fiction, horror, action, comedy, but with real stakes. It was directed by Joe Cornish. He's a friend of uh, Edgar Wright. He, uh, he helped write Ant-Man. But yeah, the interactions in that movie were really fun, and the creature design was unique. And, you know, the, the Basement Jacks. They have a really great dubstep-inspired score, and I still bump that sometimes. I was bumping it as I was writing, writing for this show. Anyway, Vampires vs. the Bronx is a mix of that, and to a much lesser degree, the 80s film The Lost Boys, if it were made for the Disney Channel. And unfortunately, this movie never reaches the heights of either of those movies, but it starts off pretty good. Similar to um, Into the Spider-Verse and the Miles Morales trailer, you get a colorful look at the vibrant and diverse community of the Bronx. You know, you're you're touring the neighborhood and everyone's saying, hey, what's up? And speaking in Spanish and English. And it, it seems it seems nice. It stars uh, Jaden Michael, who's a rising young star. He's joined by several other young actors and actresses, and they do fine. Method Man has a supporting role as a priest, but don't watch this movie for him. He's barely in it. And usually he's typecast in roles that fit his rapper persona, but it didn't make sense for him at all in this movie. He was a dad in one movie, though, wasn't he? I'm not sure. I mean, sh- I'm sure he was. Yeah. But and he was actually really good in that. Oh, I'm not saying he's not a bad actor. Yeah, I know, I'm I mean, saying, yeah. like, when I've seen clips of him in TV shows and whatnot, he's he's usually that almost that same kind of character actor. Hmm. What else has he been in on TV? Oh, uh, I, I saw a compilation of work, hmm. but I can't tell you the names. Hmm. I... I is right on the tip of my tongue too. Both, both of us are are extremely tired. It's hard. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, because the reason I was asking yeah. is because the only thing I remember him acting in, like acting acting, besides um, what was the movie? Was it with Red Man? How high? Thank you. How high? Besides that, was this other thing that I saw him in where he was playing somebody's father and he was very overprotective and he was really great in it. So that's why I was like. Oh, I totally could see him as a preacher. <laughs> I saw him as a this wonderful, overprotective father, so which was shocking to me. I was like, "Oh, this, wow, okay, man." When I saw it, I was really <laughs> excited to see what he would do with that. Yeah. But he was just met the man <laughs> with a with a robe on. Like, <laughs> so just there for his name, pretty much. Um, I mean, accumulatively, his scenes you could probably put him in like two or three minutes mm, of the movie. So he's doing somebody a favor. <laughs> There's also a very brief Zoe Saldana cameo too. Oh, again, literally one minute. Who? Wait, what's happening? <laughs> what is it? This it's movie? right at the beginning of the movie too. What? Okay. <laughs> so random. It, it it was. I was like, wait, is that no? They couldn't get her for really. And then and then Who she was she gone. And then she was gone. Oh exactly. <laughs> well, let's, let's get to there. Uh, the movie was written by Oz Rodriguez whose experience is actually really limited to short films and TV, including Saturday Night Live. He actually directed a lot of Saturday Night Live. So maybe they met at that time and mm. maybe got cool that way. I mean, I'm sure he's met a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and you can see the influence in the comedy and the basic story structure, for better or worse. I think the movie plays it very safe, which is unfortunate because the plot had room for exploration. These vampires are exclusively white people who are gentrifying buildings to build a network for their kind to live in. 
And it's revealed by the head vampire that they chose the Bronx because the minority-filled community made it easier for them to kill because the police don't care about them. Sounds like the 6 o'clock news, but continue. Yes. <laughs> and then they said that, and that point is never brought up again. It's just... A throwaway. Yeah. Um, and there was a mystery with these vampires for about 20 minutes, but once that were off, it became very generic. Um, even their makeup was generic. It was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 20 years ago. They were super strong and fast when the plot demanded it, but then they were weak at other times for no reason. There was one point, I mean, just, just the budget was so bad after mm-hmm. a point. There was one point where a vampire was flying and it looked like a high school play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just in the air. Um, it's like with most Netflix movies, the premise and the openings are almost always better than the endings. Mm-hmm. Probably due to, again, budget. So this is like Kipo for me. As an adult, do I recommend it to other adults? No. But do I recommend it for preteens? Mm. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Like some Shazam they, shit. Yeah. Mm. But better than Shazam. Well, is well, it? Well, Shazam? I was thinking Shaq Shazam. I haven't watched Shaq Shazam in a long time. <laughs> okay. We should do a retrospective <laughs> on that movie. I've never seen the white man Shazam. I've only seen the Shaq Shazam. Oh, right, right. Well, they're, well, they're way different stories. Oh, okay. I mean, Shazam with Shaq is a genie, whereas Shazam, the DC is like a super, a legit Superman-like oh, superhero. It's, they're that. very different. Okay. Okay, let's move on to his house. Mm. Have you ever seen Eddie Murphy's delirious sketch about white people in haunted houses? No. I was watching Poltergeist last month. I got a question. Why don't white people just leave the house when there's a ghost in the house? questions that really <laughs> y'all stay in the house too fucking long exactly. get the fuck out of the house very simple it's a ghost in the house get the fuck out <laughs> and not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and pull the guys they invited more white people over <laughs> sitting around going i brought a carol ann's on the television set i would have been gone if i had a daughter been down the priest and said look man uh, i went home and my fucking daughter's in the tv set and shit so i just fucking left <laughs> um, you can have all that shit. I ain't going to back back to the motherfucking. Uh, I just came down, so when she ain't at the school, you th- don't think I killed the bitch or nothing like that. But she is inside the TV set. You can have all that shit. Like it, uh, Mr. Murphy. Didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. And shit, I tried to save. I turned the channel. The shit didn't work. I got the fuck out. <laughs> Lee, the kid was only six years old in the movie. They couldn't have been too attached to her. Stop. Lee, in the Amityville Horror, the ghost told them to get out the house. White people stayed in there. Now that's a hit and a half for your ass. This is real. A ghost say, get the fuck out. I would just tip the fuck out the door. Right? They walked and looked in the toilet bowl. Was blood in the toilet? They said, that's peculiar. (laughs) I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. (laughs) Too bad we can't stay, baby. Right? Lately, films have tried to address why people stay in these houses to varying success. And his house sets up an excellent premise. There's a refugee couple who have escaped the horrors of tribal war in their home country, South Sudan, and are graded probational asylum in a poor UK neighborhood. All they have to do is not cause any trouble and they'll be fine. But if they do make trouble, then they'll be sent back to the detention center or worse, back to their home in violence but like 2020 itself the house don't give a fuck about their plans mm-hmm. 
This film is directed and co-written by Remy Weeks, a relative newcomer, along with some other new writers, Felicity Evans and Toby Venables, and stars, I hope I pronounced this right, Sope Diriso and Wanmi Mosaku from Lovecraft Country. Uh, Weeks did a cool short film called Grime Artist Gets a Visit from the Tickle Monster. You can YouTube that. It's literally like two minutes, but it's 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 pretty good. Um, like Lovecraft Country, racism is a part of the horror. The initial immigration officers are the initial immigration officers are cold as ice. Wami Mosaku's character Ryle was casually approached by a white teenager on the street, and I was terrified for her. Sope Dorisu's character Bull goes to buy something at a store, and seeing a security guard start tailing him as soon as he entered had me sit up in my seat. Even the house they are set up in is a trap. When they first arrive and the, they open the door, it comes off the hinges. Like they had to sleep at night with the door all just off, off the hinge. There are lots of roaches, the lights don't work, and they're told that using candles is an offense that could get them in trouble. They're, they're really between a rock and a hard place. But the true scares are supernatural, and they were genuinely good. What makes this movie unique is the kind of supernatural elements at play, and I don't want to spoil any more than that. I will say that anyone who couldn't sleep because of Topsy and Bopsy may have a little trouble with this one. The two main leads are great. Um, one, one, one Me Mosaku plays a much more subdued role compared to her portrayal of Ruby. However, as a black man, it was hard to watch some of Bull's character moments, like hearing noises in the wall and then him just putting his hand up into a wall with holes with no lights, welcoming harm or death. Later on, he takes a hammer to the wall, creating countless holes out of his anger that would cause the neighbors to probably snitch on them and immigration to send them back, you know what I'm saying? Um, overall, I found the movie entertaining, but like Vampires vs. the Bronx, the ending kind of comes apart for me, and that's mainly due to rules not being established, for how to defeat what's haunting them. And the resolution is, in my opinion, anticlimactic and ruins the stakes that were set up. And this really is unfortunate because it had great potential to be a black horror classic. It's like, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a science teacher, it's like, like a failed star, just not enough to make that nuclear fusion to shine. But that being said, I still recommend it as a pretty good Netflix film. Mm. So I didn't see the movie <clears throat> because, um, as I said before, I'm a scary-ass bitch. Um, but I did get, uh, like, a synopsis about it um, because I was interested in the conversation of um, refugees coming to a foreign country and also uh, survivor's remorse. So I was really interested in that aspect of it. Um, I think for me, you mentioned like the police officer, um, following the male character and from my understanding, all those, um, aspects like the, the, um, social worker and the police officer are like things that are never touched on for a reason. Like they didn't touch on it because they wanted it to kind of be like this looming cloud that's always there. Like right. that racism and that xenophobia is always there. They will always be the outsider and they're always, and just even like this whole like, 
um, unbelievable aspect of them having to live up to like, well, just don't cause trouble and be nice and live in this shitty ass um, house that I told you I'll get fixed up, but I never do. Like, just figure it out. Like these unrealistic goals that they have to attain. Um, and then just kind of like having to um, be thankful for getting shit. Um, I think there's one point in the movie where somebody says like, well, that house is bigger than my apartment. So like, why are you complaining that the door's off and the lights aren't working and right. it's fucking haunted? Like, right. <laughs> you're like, what's your deal? Like, like you should be happy that the UK government gave you this. Right. Um, and so I think it's very interesting also. I think it's also very interesting because a lot of times, because I have a lot of British friends um, and uh, it's actually funny. Um, the British never deny that there is that racism. They will just speak wholly about how like Americans are very loud and brash and abrasive with their racism and their offensiveness but the Brits are very kind of like undercover and like very like quiet about it and I feel like that's kind of like what this movie was doing it was very kind of quiet and undercover where like these people are expecting um, I don't know where people may be watching expecting for there to be like rage but like that's not what they were receiving and then I think there was one moment where the female character because I think there was a dichotomy between the two of them. Yes. Where like, yeah, where the male definitely was like, we need to make this work. We he need became to this he out. became a bit toxic, yeah. Um and he was just kind of like, which eh, another conversation. But I feel like he was like, we need to make this work. We need to figure this out. And she was kind of having um like like what's the word? Like um homesickness, I guess sure. you would say. Yeah. Um, and then I think she meets um, some people that look like her, but um, the reaction to her is not the same as you would expect. And so I think like, and that just for me is even another conversation as being a, a, ch a child of immigrants. So being like African and American, it's a big conversation for me that I've had to like deal with, like actually be a part of the conversation, also kind of watch the conversation of this African versus British, or like or Africa, like African British, or like African versus African American, and like that dichotomy and that like weird thing. So like it, it, the the movie sounds amazing, and so just from what my friends have said, I would totally recommend for people to see it. But again, I'm a scary ass bitch, so I ain't watch it. <laughs> All that you said about the themes mm. are there. Mm. I just felt like they were a bit undercooked mm. to really make this rise above something that's pretty good. Mm. And that's kind of where I land on it. I, mm. I don't think it's a bad movie at all. No. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, like Get Out, mm. they focused on the racism. There's no nothing supernatural. They just kind of focused on that. Mm. And it, it told a really complete, thoughtful um unique story mm. i think the story is unique too there's a twist that i don't want to really give away that was like oh wow okay mm. very very different mm. but again i thought some some things especially at the end they just kind of rush things along and so i wish they either focused only on the supernatural sure. or focused on the racism and just made either of them work i think a friend of mine actually mentioned this like via text mm -hmm. um when we were talking about it and they said they are really intrigued of the use of horror to speak on black mental health issues and black pain and so that's why 
when I was hearing about it and then I read the reviews and like the synopsis and I was like, oh, I get what they're saying about that. And I saw certain scenes, which is when I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not watching this movie. <laughs> I was like, hell no. But like when they said that, I was like, ooh, it, that, that made me want to watch it. But I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm not, I, I'm a scary bitch. I can't do it. <laughs> I would say kind of like Lovecraft, PTSD is also a villain. Mm. But again, I, I found it just not, not quite there for mm. me. Okay, just for the sake of time, because we're we are doing good on time. Let's go to actually Lovecraft Country. Mm. So it's been what three weeks yeah. since the finale. We didn't get a chance to talk on it, so here we are. We're gonna ask two questions today, and question one is: Were we satisfied with the ending? And if there is a season two, and it definitely seems like there's going to be a season two, yeah. what will we like to see in it? So I'll go first. Or do you want to go first? I think you should go first. Okay, sure. Was I satisfied with the ending? Um, my first impression was that it was a little rushed. For one, I was still confused about what a binding spell was. If it doesn't kill Christina and only prevents her from doing magic and killing her family, why wasn't that explained initially so Ruby would be on board maybe earlier? I don't think Ruby would have been on board even if they had explained that. Well, if the plan was to allow, to disallow white folks from using magic mm. and black folks to use it mm. and say, hey, you don't have to be with this woman to use magic. We're mm. all going to have it. Mm. Like, don't even sweat that. And we're not going to even kill your girl. But our our homie doesn't have to die either. If if that was explained, mm. like, do you think she would have? I don't. Okay. I don't think she would have been on board because I think Ruby made it very clear to uh, Letty that she only wants her on board when it suits her. And so I think that was a kind of determinant for her for even to help initially. And then second, I think it's because Ruby actually did care for Christina besides just like Christina's this entity that that gives allows her to use magic I think she actually did care for Christina and I think it took it turned and she realized she needed to be there for her family when Christina went in depth about how she makes these potions um, and how she got everything she needed for Ruby's potion mm. so I think that's when she was like oh um, no I think I'm gonna help my family out but by then as we know kind of too late so fair okay let's talk about the ancestral plane like uh Mm. wakanda can we can we first talk about those fire graphics (laughs) from what i understand lots of red uh water and fire are particularly difficult to render Mm. uh for cg artists but that fire looked like it was rendered for a, a playstation 3 like 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 twenty years, almost twenty years ago, it was a little hard to get immersed in with that going on in the background for me. Uh, let's talk about music, though. How do you feel about that rap song by uh, Gizzle as they got ready to summon Titus? I could have done without it, but I wasn't like upset with it either. Like I kind of was just like, eh. Yeah. But I, I mean, I enjoyed it. But I, I, uh, it just, I feel if they were gonna pick a rap song, they could have picked the other one. Not to say anything against the artist and their craft. But I just kind of was like, oh, okay. Like, it just felt very, I didn't need that, but cool. I like Gizzle. For those who don't know, she's not just a rapper, but she's a prolific ghostwriter who's worked with uh, Snoop Dogg, Kanye, Lupe Fiasco, Nicki Minaj, Travis Scott. You see Travis Scott's new Batman Halloween thing, by the way? I did not. (laughs) 
you gotta see. I'll, I'll show it to you later. But he he deleted his Instagram because folks were making fun of his Batman costume. Are you serious? I'm serious. I'll, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I again, just like, like you, I could have done without it. It wasn't. I wasn't angry, but no. it was like, yeah, let's. Um, Solange. I love Solange. Mm. Um, see the Table is my favorite albums of last decade, but I kind of wonder what relevance has served for that particular transition scene. You remember that? It. Remember that one? Yeah, I remember that. I, I mean, it. I mean, I love the song. Yeah, the song, the song is wonderful. <laughs> no, I, so. no, I liked the scene. I liked it with okay. the song. I liked it. I thought it was beautiful that Tick got that time with his mother. Mm. I'm glad he set things right, as right as possible with Gia. How do you feel about that that interaction? Um, well, first with um, Tick and his mom, um, I personally liked the writer's choice of not divulging who's his father. I liked that. Um, I thought that was great um, because I feel in the long run they both were his dad anyways. Sure. So um, when it comes to Tick and Gia, y'all know I'm going to say it. I didn't like it. <laughs> I was not a fan of it because you sat there and you degraded this woman and talked to her like she was a piece of trash. And then when you need her, we're family. Let's do this. It was like, wait, what? Like, hold on a second. And so, I mean, and it's just like it, it, I, as somebody on Twitter posted it, but they were like, um, this homeless man had his side piece of his baby mama, like saving his life. And I'm just like, essentially like that's, that's how I felt. And so maybe it's just me being like, kind of like, I don't know, pessimistic, but I mean, it was a beautiful scene to see like when they're all planning and everybody's together and they're all talking and they're having a moment but for me it was just kind of like it was too it was too quick of a like get get out of here get out of like we were nothing and then all of a sudden it's like i'm sorry like for me it was just like no i no, think no no <laughs> what really what made it weird for me because I'm, I'm not saying this was perfect at all i thought it was nice but when he said we are family right i'm like bro what what this is this is this is too much now you could say i'm Bitch. sorry for this <laughs> Yo, I'm sorry for what I said. I was, you know, I was really wrong for that. But now we're family. Let's do a road trip with my baby mama. Like what? And what, how did, why did he need her again? I mean, in the end, we, we found that out. It was very clear. In the end, but at that point. Because I just felt the more people, the better. And like, she's magically inclined. So just let's rope her on in. More bodies. Right. More body. That's literally what she was, a body, which is why I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> um, I hope she stays, but yeah. Yeah, I, I totally, <laughs> I, I dig her. Because um, I love Jamie Chung. Keep her. I love Hippolyta's hair. Ugh. That's probably my favorite Woo! part, my favorite part of the That's show. That's so pressed. Yes, mama. Super Saiyan Blue. Um, She said that she was gone for 200 years. Was Diana right? Was Diana right to be upset with her for leaving? Yes. Can you do you want to you want to speak on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so Diana is not a fully grown, realized individual who's had tons of life experiences mm-hmm. and maybe even some therapy to work through her shit. Diana is a child who lost her father and all the adults around her were lying, and then her mom just disappeared. So yes, she is. She is very right to be upset. It doesn't mean she has to stay upset, mm. but she's very right to be in her feelings and be like, you left me. And she completely understands, like, later on she can understand, like, why, and she can work through that and go through that. But it kind of reminds me of um, kind of having an understanding for why our parents do the things they do, but not giving them the bly for it. 
So it's like, hey, this really fucked me up. I understand why you did it, but it still fucked me up and I'm so upset about it. And so that's why she completely had the right to be upset with her mom. And that's why her mom even let her know. It's like, no, you are completely right. I did leave you. I was gone for a hot second. And you like, and to be fair, Diana says it. She's like, I mean, if you were here, you couldn't have helped me anyways. Facts are facts, but her feelings are valid. Sure. So it's like, I think she was completely right to feel the way she felt. Sure. I'm also curious about what you said she was in the future or in that universe for mm. 200 years. Mm. How many, how much time passed between her leaving and her coming back? It was a few days, wasn't it? Because Tick left and they got back and there was uh, Bobo's funeral where she was cursed. And then by that time she had completely almost turned mm. essentially. So it was a few days. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, right when they patch things up, she leaves her in the car in the middle of Spooktown. So literally, like, I'm not kidding. As soon as I saw that child reading that book in that car, I was like, I know y'all did not leave her by her freaking stuff. There better be a show goth somewhere because if y'all left that little girl. I, I saw a comment on, 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 on social media. It was like, they need to call Child Protective Services. On right. <laughs> I mean, I get it the first time. It sucks, but I get it. But this time, Ugh. you I mean, bro. Uh, anyway, um, something I found odd, and maybe you can, you know, disagree on this. I don't know. I found it odd that they became so fluent in this magic language so quickly. Like, they were reading from a book. Theoretically, Tick's grandmother has been in the ancestral plane for, like, 30 years. But she still had to read from the book to heal Diana. Mm. But these current folks have been involved for just a few weeks, I guess, at this point. Mm. How do you feel about them just kind of getting that language so so, so quick? Did it um, throw you off a little bit? I It didn't throw me off because I feel that um, it kind of like, so we're teachers. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of comes to, we always talk about like retention with our students. And you don't retain what you don't think you'll use. And so I felt like when it came to that, they were retaining, they knew they had to use it. There was like, it was a life or death situation. Sure. So there's no like, um, donde esta biblioteca? It was like, no, we know. <laughs> we need to know this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, so I feel like for me, and also I, I could be wrong, but I felt like the whole time span wasn't like over a day. I felt like because it was the, uh, uh, the autonomous um, equinox, so I and Bobo's death was summer um, because they said it was the hottest day in the summer. So I felt it was a time. I felt there was some time. Then also Tick had to teach Diana how to um, uh, uh, like how to talk, how to train your Shogoth, how to talk to the Shogoth. I, I don't feel it was like over a course of like a few days. I felt there was a, a bit of a time span there. And well, about that, and I don't think the show did a good job of no. letting us know about that. No. And it it's unfortunate that we got to see Tick train Diana through a a flashback. A flashback, yeah. yeah. Um Ruby and Christina. Yeah. Did you know that that was Christina when she got in the car? Yes. Yeah, I was I was totally not uh, fooled. So what what made you know it was Christina? Well, the fact that she had a full vial of blood. I was thinking like if she gave her oh. if she gave her like a hair. Mm. You're like, okay, this is some, something that she just barely got. Mm. But she was like, here, here you go, a full vial of whatever. I'm like, <laughs> how did how did we get this? Oh, okay. 
And then I think she kind of had a slight look in her face. Uh, mm. uh, even just her, her, her cadence was a little off. Yeah. Mm. But it was the blood vial to Which me. Which speaks to the actress. But like <laughs> that you were to catch that. But for me, it was the Pat Boone song. The Life Will Be a Dream. Ah. In the first episode, Ruby says it. She's like, she fucking hates that song. She's like, shaboom, shaboard. <laughs> She's like, she does not like that song. And then Chris is sitting there. That's a good point. That's I a good catch. Like, Bitch, she don't like that song. That's a good catch. <laughs> like, that wow. is not Christina. I was like, that is not Ruby. And also, that whole moment was just very, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Like, I got the point of what they were trying to make, but I just did not like it. Just all of them sitting in the car singing. I was like, y'all know this man about to die, right? Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I mean, you know, <laughs> let, him, let him have a moment. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Do you think Ruby's really dead? Uh, Christina said, she said the it. person is in a coma. So, like, she puts the person in a coma. I mean, she said that Ruby's dead. I mean, so, Okay. That Christina lies. That's true. <laughs> so, That's a good point. And she told Ruby to make this, the person is put in a coma. <laughs> right. You get them right to the brink of death and put them in a coma. So I don't think Ruby's dead. I don't think so either. Yeah. I don't think so either. <laughs> and also they got the book, so if they wanted to, they could bring back Tick, they could bring back Ruby, they could just bring back everybody. Are those powers, to. do they have those powers in the book? I mean, I, I mean, maybe. Well, they brought back, uh, uh, what's his name, Titus. They brought him back. I guess. I don't know the conditions for that, though, because it's only in that place, like, you're back just for here for the short time or you're here, like, period. Like, I, I don't know how that works. So yeah. I just... I, they I could just, do anything, really. Yeah, exactly. I just remember them saying a spell. They brought him back because he knew magic. He was able to kind of get his ass out yeah. real quick. And then they just said another spell, brought his ass back, cut the skin, and they said another spell and took his ass away. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on a little bit. It seemed like Christina recited the invulnerability spell after she threw Letty off the roof? She did. When, couldn't that be possibly too late, given the height that she tossed her out? I mean, she could have snapped, snapped her neck at that point. You know, who knows? Broken her spine, something. That was kind of weird to me. But okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Because that, that spell burns into your stomach, right? Mm. So the fact that she didn't feel that, it was obviously afterwards. So I, I, that was, I was, I was kind of strange. Um... Again, let's talk about Gia. Like, her tail's being activated by the spell. That's a big plot convenience. Well, the woman told her, you you have to enter the darkness. And she entered the darkness. (laughs) But it wasn't like the shaman said to save. It was just just a basic Mm. phrase. That's why she was very confused. She was like, what does this woman mean I have to enter the darkness? <laughs> what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> well, she clearly stated that her tails come out when her lover climaxes. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, what does that have to do with this? Like, is the darkness climaxing here? Magic. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I, it just, you know, Magic. I feel like the episodes before did such a good job of layering things and really laying it out for you. I mean, of course, some things were open for inter- interpretation, but mm-hmm. they were pretty clear about the important beats makes sense because of this and this and this. And I feel like this episode stag- stumbled a little bit on that. Mm. Can we talk about that? She got that protected D? Yes. Do those things just dig underground because they went, or do they just like teleport? I mean, they never really talk about that either. Yeah, they've never really talked on about the Shogos. I just know that they, um, I, I, I liked the fact that they're 
um, familial Shogoth um, has black skin mm. and all the other ones have white skin. Sure. Um, so that's the only thing I can really touch on with that one. But they never really talked about the Shogoths because I know at one point, didn't they have a cow that birthed a Shogoth? Like, I think it was the first episode Christina helped a cow birth a Shogoth. Right. So I don't know anything about them or what they do or where they live or exactly. I know that I know that the Shogoth was living under under uh uh Letty's house. house right right but that's it like how did it get out did they let it out to just like yeah just I wish a little more of that was yeah. given to us it was nice to see white folks shut out from all magic there was that funny meme about Hogwarts being <laughs> being confused right now <laughs> I didn't see that no it's it's pretty funny why didn't they kill Christina there they just left her. Well, D says it, and so so uh, funny enough. So like, I enjoy watching like um, reviews that also go in depth about the shows, and so a lot for Lovecraft, it was a lot of men, uh, white men specifically, talking about it, and every single one of them at that scene said that when D says they they never learn or something to that effect. She said she had that line, and they were saying that D was saying like, oh, white people, they never learn. Like she's begging this black girl to help her, so she kills Christina, and now D is the villain for the next season, and so it's just gonna be black people against white people, and that's why white people are rioting because black people are gonna hold white people down. It's just like they've held them for years, and I'm just like. White people. That's not in us. That's y'all. We don't do that. We just want to be left in peace. This whole family, this whole season, we're screaming, leave us alone. We want to be left in peace. So I think when when D said, like, they never learn, it's because that girl was sitting in that car reading that book that her great grand nephew, uh, huh? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, George Freeman <laughs> read, um, wrote, and he's saying he's like we to save our blood we we may have to draw some of theirs so that's what she's like my people my my brother slash cousin my, <laughs> they they never learn like they're not realizing like don't just leave this white woman here because she can come around and do god knows what kill the bitch <laughs> i mean even if she has no no power she has the power of being a white she, woman thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> that's why when i saw these white men i was like we what these people just want to be left alone. What are you talking about? I mean, we just r- witnessed her apparently kill Ruby and she killed Tick. And y'all just right. going to be, be like, oh, well, all's well, ends well. See you later. Like, no, how does that work? And it's such a huge, it's such a huge, like, I don't even want to call it a metaphor. Like, but it is of just like, this is the plight of white people. That's why when it, we speak about privilege and we speak about legalities and equality, that's why they get so rustled, like ruffled because they're like, well, once they become equal, then watch guys, they're going to do to us what we did to them. And it's like, we no, we just want to be left in peace. We just want to make our money, go to our homes, raise our kids. Not D though. Like, <laughs> well, no, D, D was helping her family. She D and Hippolyta are about that life. Right. On another note, I'm, I was kind of, uh, I was a little bit let down that Hippolyta is the most powerful character on the show. Mm. And it was great that she gave Diana her arm. And that fight scene with the whore was pretty cool. Mm. I wish they gave her more of that, though. More of that at that scene. Yeah. I really want to see her go ham on them and maybe finally get hit from at some point. But yeah. um, let's talk about what we want to see from season two. Mm. Um, I want to know the extent of Hippolyta's knowledge. I mean, obviously we can't know the extent, but I definitely want to dig more into what she knows, what's in that, in that room. Um, they have magic and essentially infinite wisdom and technology on their side now. 
What does that mean? It's like from Watchmen. Where do you really go from there? Um, now that Hippolyta has all that wisdom, can she repair the time machine? Wait, she already did, right? She already, she already, she already repaired it. I don't. I don't think she repaired it. Repaired it because she had to use herself to charge, like charge it. At this point, but going in the future now right, that she, she has totally, the time, yeah. can she do that now? Can they yeah. just start exploring things now? It could be like Doctor Who for Black people. Mm. Um, if she can't go back to that one universe because because they said you can't, can she send Diana there or other people to to, to get woke? Um, I don't understand the rules about why she can't go back in the first place, but. Um, how does Diana walk down the street with that arm now? I'm going to assume Hippolyta, in her infinite wisdom, will create some kind of skin technology, maybe. Or maybe a magic glamour thing. Sure, that's yeah. sure, absolutely. And I'd be okay with that. Um, how, about, how about you? What are your thoughts? Um, so it's interesting. So I love the whole season as a whole. But actually, for upcoming seasons, I would really like to see them delve into other people of color. So, like, I think it would be really great for maybe the second season to be rooted, like, let's say, in a Mexican family um, who's dealing with sci-fi and horror and and magic and all of these things that um, were in the first season, but still in the realm, still in the universe that was created by um, uh, the first season. Um, so there's still ties to the world and uh, the language and the magic that we saw in the first season. And then the next season, it could be a Korean family. And then after that, like, just I just really I think it would be great to just delve deeper into the stories of people of color with every single season. Um, I would I would personally love to see that. I think that would be really great. Sure. I'm for that. Did well, you watch the um like making of no time for that mm. yeah that was really interesting to watch how uh they even like down to the props and the sets and how they were able to do things how so invested in the world people were were in and then also the history of the time and how they wanted it to be like a love letter to um just black people and um, having these little, not Easter eggs, but just like things of the history and how they, they, even with like Tulsa, like how they specifically wanted to just show the affluence and show that because I think with Watchmen, it was way more about the massacre itself. But with them, they wanted to spend more time on the affluence of Tulsa and how these black people were living mm. um, before it was all mm. ripped away from them. So I thought that was really cool to watch. And then also just the the camaraderie. Because, like, being an actor, one of, like, the great things... It's funny because, like, sometimes people will ask, like, why do actors always, like... Like, celebrities always date celebrities or actors always date actors or whatever. And it's not necessarily because they're in that same environment. But, like, when you're doing a show or a movie and you're with people for so long, especially if you're, like, um, playing roles opposite each other, like romantic leads opposite each other, um, it's very... It, it it is very easy to form these these bonds, mm. and it was very incredible to watch. I think uh, the SAG, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, and after they did like a fundraiser with the whole entire cast, mm -hmm. and they talked to them, um, and just to see that family, that bond that they all had, 
um, there was one point where uh, the the moderator asked them like what was something that they took from their characters about themselves like that they took away for themselves or things that they didn't even realize that they had within them like a strength or like a vulnerability something that they didn't know but they gained from being this character and um uh oh Montrose what's his name Michael K Williams thank you oh what I have a brain fart yeah Michael K Williams uh, it was so beautiful he spoke about. Montrose and how he was feeling how Montrose's um, homosexuality may not even be rooted in that. It could just be a need for affection and just because he never had that and just this love and this vulnerability. And it was really beautiful. Like he broke down during the 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 talk that they had because he just spoke about how everything that was happening with Montrose really hit home for him the importance of mental health specifically with black men. Um, and that was beautiful to see this man just cry, um, just realizing how like I need to take care of myself. I need to do that. Um, and then everybody just to come around him, you know, like, I mean, Anjanu's crying, um, Journey's crying, Courtney Vance is like, all right, all right, like trying to build him up. It was just beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys have time, it's on YouTube, but um, it was a really great chat. Um, Jamie Chung's there as well. And that's the, that's the Screen Actors Guild. Screen Actors Guild yeah. After um, okay. Foundation, yeah. Um, they were raising money for actors who can't work right now because of COVID-19. Mm. To your point about that, you know, I... When, when Moonlight came out, I kind of had a similar take mm. of that, of, like, nature versus nurture. Like, that, that the boy that I kissed him was really the first person to really show him that kind of love. And, mm. you know, could had it been a woman, would he re- have reacted di- differently? Mm. But, yeah, it's, it's, that's interesting. Um, thank you. I, I know you sent me a lot of things. I'm sorry. I, I've been it's so okay. busy. I, I do want to get a chance to look at that stuff. I too. watch it on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, really quick. Uh, not really quick. I don't know if it's quick enough. Let's move on to the craft legacy. Do we have to? Have you seen the original movie? Um, again, is the sky blue? Yes, I've seen the original movie. <laughs> okay, multiple I don't know what times. I love this movie. <laughs> I love that movie. We're the weirdos, sir. Okay. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, it's a favorite of mine. I'm sure it is for many people around our age. My sister loves this movie too. We've watched it together countless mm-hmm. times. It's one of those movies that I've always watched whenever it came on cable. You know, it's truly a cult classic and it had a lot to live up to with uh, this new movie. Before we start on that though, I do want to talk about, for those who don't know about Rachel True's drama with and history with, with the movie, mm-hmm. she said in interviews that The Craft was special because it was one of the first mixed teen movies, not yep. simply black teen movie or white teen movie. And her role was originally written for a white character with bulimia, but the writers changed her subplot to face racism. Mm-hmm. But even still, she faced discrimination on the actual set. Uh, during promotional tours and press interviews, she was ignored. Even on the streaming service, uh, AT&T U-verse, the description of the movie mm-hmm. credits the other three ladies and leaves her out of it. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, and it, it may have been adjusted, but there was a, a Twitter screen cap about that. And even she commented, like, very upset about yep. that. Uh, the other actresses were invited to various conventions, and she wasn't. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I um, always write her out. It's like nobody gives a shit about the other ones. But well, I mean, Nancy. I mean, <laughs> you don't even exist to me. <laughs> Nancy. Nancy made that movie. I mean, Nancy is Nancy. Let's Nancy be real. Made that movie. But it's like, I mean, it's Nancy, and it's her character that you really give a shit about. So. <laughs> well, 
you haven't seen this movie, so I'll try to be brief. Uh, the first thing I noticed about this movie is that the high school girls actually look like high school girls. Remember the era of teen movies where you had people... They they aren't. They aren't? They aren't. Wait, the black girl's not a high school girl? I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Hold on. Because I've watched her on Greenleaf. I watched her in... Uh, what's the thing? Uh, it's another movie. She's not a teenager? Nope. Nope. I've been bamboozled. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, all these ladies. Okay, um, let me let me finish my spiel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You know, remember the the era T movies where you had people in their mid twenties playing high school kids, 20s, like thirties. Tobey Maguire was 27 <laughs> when he played Peter Parker for the first time. Mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield was 29 years old oh, playing man. a high school. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? What? Yeah, it. I looked it up. It turns out. All the actresses are in their early twenties. So maybe so maybe when, when you saw that particular show, she was of that age. I wanna say that the black woman in particular was I she may have been twenty one. I, okay. I I think she's twenty one now. Okay. But some are like twenty two, twenty three, like in that in that in that zone. Okay. And to compare, I looked up the ages of the original craft mm-hmm. actresses and they're actually about the same they were about the same age too, twenty three, twenty four. Mm. Except for one. Can you guess who? No. Rachel True. How old was she? Oh, yes, yeah, she's, no. Oh, she was older. You know, black don't crack now. <laughs> for those who don't know, when The Craft released, Rachel True was 30 years old. Yep. <laughs> black don't crack. Black girl magic, indeed. <laughs> but honestly, in this new movie, as the film went on, they started to look older. It felt like they were putting on more makeup as time went on. I don't know if they were like reshoots, maybe maybe a couple of years past or something. <laughs> it's weird. I could be wrong, but anyway. Um the chemistry between these characters are are great from the jump. They they feel like real teenage girls with quirks, looks, and style. The original film was at a parochial school with uniforms, so there wasn't as much room for expression. My only one complaint about this new movie is that they don't get any unique obstacles to overcome with their powers. Remember, mm. Nancy was the poor person with her mom with an right. abusive partner. Rachel True's Rochelle was dealing with racism and bullying. Mm. Bonnie wanted to heal her back. Yeah. In this movie, they don't get much to do and are largely sidelined for the main character, Lily. Um, also, there isn't like that Obi-Wan like mystical shop mentor oh, lady yeah. this time. Mm-hmm. Upon watching this new movie, it made me really appreciate that character more from the previous film. Uh, something else that stood out about this movie is not only the feminist themes, but the queer themes. Um, there's a more feminist revision that I really enjoyed this time around about the the male main character, Timmy. In the original film, a spell was cast to make the hottest guy in school like Sarah. But in this new film, they cast a spell in order to make this character, who's really more of a bully, a more woke person, Mm. Not even to like them initially. Yeah. So in short, they made him get on their level. Mm. So I thought that was that was really cool. And that speaks to another distinctive feature of the film. The witches using their powers more to help mm. and protect not only themselves but also other people around them. Oh. Um there was a there was a guy bullying, I'm assuming a, a queer character, and and they like make a you know, they they, they turn his clothes into a rainbow flag or something and it, it was silly but yeah. but but they still you know did something mm-hmm. i don't remember it in the other film that they actually helped other people beside themselves they didn't exactly yeah that's why it all went dark yeah 
you know, there was the whole subplot in the original film against Marsha Brady, you know, making her lose her hair. Mm -hmm. It's like Thanos. It's like instead of hurting people, can you make your surroundings just better with your power? Mm. This new movie has a dark moment or two, but nothing on the level of the first film. Um, they're almost night and day on that in that regard. But theme of the show, the ending is where it goes downhill for me. Mm. Plot elements are added and rushed. There's a cool twist that had great potential. I don't want to spoil it, but I think because of time and constraints and budget, this is a Blumhouse film. They only give like $5 million for it every film. I feel like it just couldn't reach the heights that the writers were probably originally aiming for. The conclusion borders on a scene you would see on like teen WB shows with worse CG effects and plot points and characters that you'd think would play a role in that conclusion are utterly disregarded for no reason. This movie reminded me of the Amazing Spider-Man reboot where they were setting up Easter eggs and sequel, uh, setting up sequels for other franchises within franchises instead of working on a more complete and fully developed story, kind of putting the cart before the horse. Mm. The original is by far better. I still recommend this movie, though, for those who those are fans of the original, but I'll likely never watch this again. Mm. At the same time, I am curious to see how they do a sequel because there, they, there is room for it. What do you think? Has that made you interested to watch um, it? I was never interested to watch it because I feel the craft for me holds a very special place in my heart. And I felt like watching this would just be like a joke. And then, of course, I open up YouTube and I see like a video titled like, Craft Legacy is a glitter ball of fuckery. And I was like, yeah, I'm not watching that. So... <laughs> not watching it maybe i'll watch it in the background while i'm cleaning my house but i'm not gonna actually be like hunker down and be like let's watch this film that's how i was too so, yeah <laughs> i you know there's a there's a thing now nowadays on off the internet where something is amazing or it's trash mm. and kind of the theme for me for this episode is nothing is has been trash so far it's mm. been okay mm. and i feel like this is in the okay pile for yeah. me personally no, I, the the title was definitely clickbait sure. so i don't think they were like the movie is horrible it was definitely clickbait but i just saw glitter ball and i was like oh, I already know like as soon as i saw that i was like it's gonna be like some kid tween cutesy da -da -da -da, with like a lesson at the end i was like i'm not watching that it's not for me the, <laughs> i like the darkness of the original yeah the craft it was feminist but it didn't really it didn't hit you over the head with it. I feel like these days there are some films that just hit you over the head with, I'm a strong woman. We're strong women. And it's like, you know. That fight scene in the Avengers Endgame? Yes, <laughs> exactly. There's some disagreement with other, other folks and on the show about that. And now it's the women. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, Black Panther did it so well. It's like, please don't pander to me. Please don't pander to me. Thanks. And this movie was like that, especially at the end where it's just like on the nose, like, oh, come on. Anyway. All right, we are a little bit over time. I do want to briefly talk about the literal elephant in the world. That is the uh, election. Can I just say, please? I have not been invested in this at all because <laughs> I just don't see the point. But what I tell you for the past two days, everybody and their mother, and they're not even American, have been coming up to me like, have you seen? Do you look at the map? Have you? Biden's leading. I stop. No. <laughs> I mean, I care, but proceed, sir. Everyone is diagnosing the aftermath of this thing and with their own takes, and I'll be no different. And But first, I want to start with some good news. Number one, 
all four of the squad got reelected. So that's that's cool. Plus? Plus, first, all Justice Democrat incumbents were reelected. And as Jay was hinting, they're expanding. Cori Bush from my hometown, St. Louis, is the first black woman to represent Missouri and the House. I was most excited yes, to vote for her this election. Yes, yes, She's a working yes. class woman, nurse, Black Lives Matter activist and single mother who previously raised her kids while homeless. Yes, queen! What a backstory. I'm so happy for her. You want to say anything about that? I've, I've already said my, 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 yes, yes. You did. <laughs> Two progressives were elected to become the first openly gay black members of Congress, Richie, Richie Torres and Mondaire Jones. Sarah McBride in Maine will become the first openly transgender senator. Yeah. On the law side, uh, New Jersey has made marijuana legal. Florida is the eighth state to pass a $15 minimum wage. From OregonLive.com, Oregon passed an extremely progressive bill decriminalizing the possession of the possession and use of street drugs. It funnels millions in marijuana tax revenue towards what it calls addiction recovery centers where people can be screened and directed to treatment options. Those tax dollars will also go to a drug treatment and recovery service fund overseen by the state that could be used for treatment, housing, or other programs designed to address addiction. Like, that's an incredible law, an incredible experiment that I'm really excited to see how that plays out and if other states will adopt that. Even if whoever wins recognize that there is progress being made. And even the things that I said, there are more than that, but those stuck out to me. So when it comes to the presidential side of this, I just want to read... Two tweets, which is why, because everybody keeps coming to me so excited, mostly white people who are not from that country, so excited about Biden winning. Um, And I'm just going to read two tweets that just very much um, encompass my feelings about it. Uh, Michael Harriet said, um, there is something nauseatingly poetic about the fact that we'll sleep tonight knowing 60 million people want to live in a country controlled by an unabashedly racist, utterly incompetent, immoral criminal. Where are all those America's better than this motherfucker's at now? And Robin Thede said, to be clear, this wasn't a presidential election. It was just a survey on how much this country loves racism and most white people checked the box for very satisfied. So while I get that it's wonderful that Biden was able to win um, based off of the old vestige. Well, I mean, I guess like, let me not speak too soon. Um, But as of right now, he's being projected to win based off the old vestige of uh, the remnants of the slavery era of the Electoral College. Um, But I just feel that if Biden does win, it's just a Band-Aid on the broken arm, leg and head of America. Um, I feel more strongly about all the people who still voted for Trump and all the people who didn't vote for him last time but voted for him this time. So I don't understand um, all of the joy that people are feeling when it comes to the presidential um, election um, because I feel like it just, it really just reminds me, it's just another, it's the other side of the coin of what happened in 2016. There was that SNL skit with Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle where all the white people were just like so upset and like, oh my God, he's winning. Like, what's happening? I, I didn't think this would happen. And they're like, you didn't think this would happen? Like, I mean, how, how did he win? Like, oh, how did he win? Like, they're just like black people. We, we've been new. We've been new. And so it's just like all of you people who are just like so excited that Biden may win. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, I 
still see all this showed me was that America is broken mm. and I'm again I have no plans to ever go there I think one of our co-workers it was funny she because um, I said well I'm not going there um, and she's American she said oh well like a bunch of my friends who've lived here like they lived here for like six or seven years and um, yeah they all said like they were never going to go back to America but they eventually went back and I said are they white and she goes oh yeah I'm like Okay. <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, <laughs> so I have no plans on going back there. Yeah, some other things to, to add on and note to that. This is an election that has shattered the record for most votes cast, mm-hmm. a record that was held previously by Barack Obama's race. Interestingly, Obama won by a landslide that was called on election night. And as you said, we're still a little anxious about whether Biden will actually take this or not. Which is disgusting. <laughs> Something that stunned me was an Edison poll that revealed that Trump gained more ground with nearly every demographic mm-hmm. except white men. That means black men, black women, Latino, Latinx mm-hmm. voters, white women, and Asian voters, they voted voted for Trump more this year than in 2016. Mm-hmm. I saw an article from a friend that read, black men drifted from Democrats toward Trump in record numbers. And I had a brief exchange with that person, but I turned off the notifications because I don't feel like getting bogged down in internet debates anymore. I know there are going to be corners of the net propagating this narrative, so I want to read some analysis that has gone viral from a woman named Stacey Patton. Exit polls from the New York Times show that black people comprised 12% of the total voters in this election so far. Of that total, 12% of black voters supported Trump and 87% went for Biden. Black men comprised 5% of those cast votes in this election. Of that 5%, 18% voted for Trump and 80% voted for Biden. 91% of black women who comprised 7% of total voters supported Biden and 8% of black women went for Trump. And yet I'm seeing people write whole sentences like, it's astounding that 18% of black men voted for Trump. That sentence is incorrect. I literally just saw this headline, black men drifted from Democrats toward Trump in record numbers. And I love how folks are pretending not to see that 80%, the overwhelming majority of the 5% of black male voters cast votes for Biden. And folks are going to remain conspicuously silent about the 8% of black women voters who voted for Trump. That number is up from 2% in 2016. I don't see whole sentences written about how astounding it is for the black female demographic supported the Republican candidate in record numbers. This is so typical of how conversations about gender and race, particularly as they relate to black men, go down on social media because people don't read data. They make all kind of wild generalizations to craft narratives about black male deviance. The fact is, the vast majority of black men don't murder people. The vast majority of black men don't beat black women. The vast majority of black men don't murder children. The vast majority of black men don't rape. The vast majority of black men don't vote for racist presidential candidates. That all sounds like a red herring to me. What do you mean? Like, I think it's appalling that the conversation is about the black men or women who voted for Trump because in the United States, white people are 70% of the population. Yes. So why are we even discussing? Like, that's a conversation that can be had in our community. But why is it always put on the minority to get rid of the oppressor? Why is it our job? Why is it always on us? So I feel like that whole well, black men, black women, it's like that's just another thing to get us against each other. I don't want to talk about that. 
I don't want to talk about that right now. That's a conversation I have in my house, my people. What I want to talk about right now is why this country was built on the blood and the sweat and the tears of black, brown, red, yellow bodies. And we're supposed to be the ones like, why aren't you guys showing up to vote? Fuck you. This is your problem. You created this. You fix it. So my first actual hot take from my friend's post is, as you said, this voter shaming is useless. And it may have an adverse effect. The 53% of white women voted for Trump signed that Women's March. Remember that picture? Mm -hmm. It went very viral in liberal circles. But what did that ultimately do? Exactly. It's like cancel culture. Who really got, got canceled? In regards to this election, who really got shamed into making a decisive impact? Obviously, it didn't work out. The fact that the Democrats are this close to losing after all that Trump has done is it just shows an abject failure on their part. If mm-hmm. there was no coronavirus, Trump would have steamrolled mm-hmm. Biden. For me personally, I will not participate in voter shaming ever again. These four years have clearly shown its futility. It's incumbent, as Jade said, uh, upon any left-leaning party to make the proper case to win these votes with proper candidates and policies. And if anyone is still interested in persuading people, the exit poll numbers make it obvious that being this negative isn't the way, and it's time for us to re-strategize. I think the term unity is used cynically these days, but I honestly still believe in it. We are in this together, but I understand that people have the right to draw those boundaries about how much time and effort they give to people. Um, But I think if we don't explore new ways to communicate, these trends of losing ground may worsen. you have anything to say on that? Um, When it comes to unity, I only believe in POC unity. Okay. I don't believe in um, unity as a whole because I feel the conditioning of white people in general has taught them to play the victim and to not see even their hand in the oppression of others, whether it be conscious or unconscious. So I believe in POC unity. And I believe that the reason why we cannot get POC unity is because of white supremacy and because of the lies and the stereotypes that were created by the white man. So I'm all about unity, but I'm all about unity with my Asian brother and sisters and my Latino brother, Latinx brothers and sisters and my Native American brothers and sisters. I'm about unity in that respect. But when it comes to white people, yeah, I'm good on that. I feel you. I'll say I I so personally believe in in class unity as well as POC unity too. Um, My second takeaway, and this is not anything that's novel, but it was obviously a mistake for the Democratic Party to push itself to the right to get a few Republican votes as opposed to appealing deeper to its base to getting them more excited and developing a populist campaign. Barack Obama uh, won by a landslide, not because he campaigned as a moderate like Biden, he campaigned as a progressive, mm-hmm. even though he governed as a moderate. As moderate, yep. He called for ending the wars. And let's remember, just put a pin in that, let's remember that none of the debates this year talked about war. Nope. And both candidates have a fairly similar stance on that. Mm-hmm. Obama talked about fighting for universal health care. Mm-hmm. He compromised with Obamacare, but that's not what he campaigned on, folks. Nope. This is the same universal health care that he's now against that Biden's against, that all these people are against, but that's what got him into the White House. He talked about ending corruption. Uh, He was a populist candidate 
who appealed not only to the Democratic base, but also independents who later voted for Trump in 2016. According to research done by the Democracy Fund Voter Study Group, compared to other voters, Obama to Trump voters have liberal economic views and conservative social views. And though these supporters supported Trump in the 2016 election, they are less supportive of Republicans as a whole and show a desire to change the status quo. Just, gee, man, if there was only a, a populist candidate who, during the primaries, consistently talk about changing the status quo and polled higher with those kind of voters, man. If, <laughs> oh, man. If only politicians and the media protecting that status quo didn't collaborate to stop him. It's, it's like, if, if you want to win, why not run the same playbook as the winner? I'm not even an Obama fan, but he won for a reason. Look to history for your answer. Anyway, I'm not here to persuade you to necessarily like anyone. At this point, I'm much more interested in this unity, as, as me and Jay are talking about, and ideas, values, grassroots organizations of people as opposed to hero worship. Even though Biden largely ran a cynical campaign, that is to say we're voting against someone like Trump versus giving voters something to be excited about, I don't want to end on a cynical note. Biden does seem in a good position to win. That means that people can rest a little more, not worrying about as many fires to put out, and that's good. We can start being on the offensive rather than playing defense. I hope more stimulus bills get passed for you all more easily. I look forward to some sort of student debt relief, criminal justice reform laws, laws that address climate change, something. I just hope that we keep the same energy and vigilance that we had for Trump toward the Biden administration. More people are increasingly turning off mainstream media for better or worse, but I encourage you all to consume news and media from more perspectives. I've already mentioned leftist media like Democracy Now!, The Intercept, Unicorn Riot, Black Rose Feed. It's going down, Current Affairs, Truth Out, Young Turks, Hill Rising, and more on previous shows. Um, are there news that you consume? That the I, ones that, that I you listed. Okay. You have anything to add on that? Or? Nope. Okay. My new favorite podcast is Bad Faith Podcast, co-created by an incredibly brilliant black woman, Harvard Law graduate and former press secretary for Bernie, uh, Brianna Joy Gray. She does excellent analyses and gives thoughtful interviews. One of her most recent was with Ice Cube about why he chose the path he did uh, so close to the election. And that was really interesting. Just to close out here, just continue to fight, even if locally, continue to build community. Given the vast numbers of people who still support Trump, solidarity is more important than ever. And continue to take care of yourselves. Taking a break, self-care, it's, it's all fine. Don't feel guilty about that. But much love to you all. Our hearts are with you. Um, it's very easy for us to, to kind of be chill outside of Korea, but I know there's a lot of anxiety for a lot of you out there, mm. especially our black female listeners. So, yeah. Well, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Like I said, we'll probably be back in two weeks. There's something special I, I do want to talk about. We are on Facebook again at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We're on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. And we're on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Find us on Blurred.com, our partners. Jay, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's get some sleep. Yes, please. Peace.